Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to our um, a premiere podcast for Be Data Lit. Sarah and I have been very excited to bring this to bring this to all of you. Um, how are you doing today, Sarah? I know it's early over there. Alan, nothing's more uh, able to wake me up than us starting a podcast. <laughs> Nerves well, are good for this. I'm very happy to be here. How are you, Alan? Um, I'm excited about the podcast too. I feel like, you know, the summer is just going by really quick. Um, I'm laughing though, because we finally got this going. Cause I know you've been asking me to do this for a little How bit. Long? How long have I been asking you to do this? <laughs> a little bit. Um, I won't say how long. I I think I lost I lost count or I lost days or months. Um. <laughs> Maybe a month. You know, started yeah. asking last month. Oh, okay, you're being kind. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so I think the main question everyone wants to know is like, why are we doing this? Like, you know, we started the Be Data Lit site, which I think has been, we've been hearing some good traction, but, you know, maybe people need to know why we're doing this. I let you go first. <laughs> no pressure at all. I like how you're throwing that at me right away. <laughs> why are we doing this podcast? I feel like that's such a hard and easy question to answer. Um, I think you and I uh, really started uh, being involved in data literacy from a similar perspective and one that we didn't see a lot of other people talking about. And you and I just started having conversations and those conversations, I kept telling you, Alan, it sounds like we're on a podcast. And I know. <laughs> I mean, that's really the simple answer right there is our conversations yeah. were ones I wish other people would have heard. I know. Um, I remember our first conversation. I'm trying to remember how we even started. Oh, I think we started from the uh, Data Visualization Society Slack channel. We were in the data literacy channel and you're just like, okay, we got to start. We got to stop chatting like this. Why don't we just like go offline, get on the phone, get a Zoom call. And then we just started talking about um, data literacy from, because you and I have a unique or, you know, it's not the most popular perspective when it comes to it. <laughs> a lot of people are, are kind of more corporate training focused and That's I'm totally a bit like, understated there, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm totally right. I, I, I'm there as well. Um, but, um, I'm also looking to help like the everyday user, like the everyday business user, and also help those who don't have access to corporate training. Mm. So, there, so there are a lot of people who are trying to maybe restart their career or they're in a, in a career that doesn't lend itself to having exposure to data. But, you know, everyone's yeah. exposed to data, but their jobs may not be. So I think I you think make such a good point there, Alan, that I think we should talk about a little bit. Um, it's not corporate data literacy or individual data literacy. It's not an or operation there. Yeah. I, all right. I guess that's our first uh, data joke. Woo. But um, <laughs> And versus or. It's, yeah, exactly. It's not an or. or. It's an okay. and. <laughs> yeah. Not should we be using parentheses as well? <laughs> nice, nice. Like it. It's not an if, then, or anything. But um, no, it's everyone. And I think that's one of the things I really enjoy talking to you about is we really dive into it. And you said we're not popular. 
we're totally popular. Well, and I mean, everyone it's not loves us. Trend, but I mean, it's definitely <laughs> it's definitely harder. I think you know when you're trying to um, prom- not not necessarily promote, but when you're trying to get an operation like that off the ground, like I find that it's, you have a lot of your pieces in place. Like if you're in a corporate job or if you're in a company, um, or if you just have access to data, it's easier for you to start. Cause you know, again, data literacy to me is getting familiar with data. So it's easy to get familiar if the data is there versus maybe a situation where you don't have the access or you don't have the motivation because you know, the, you know, there's not a monetary motivation or you're just so busy, you know, you just don't have time to sit and get familiar with data. Um, and at the same time, it's funny because data is everywhere. I always say that too. It's, you know, it's on our phones. I mean, we're probably, we checked the weather before we got on this. Uh, and, <laughs> and so, um, but yeah, so I think with the, it's easier to talk to a, a corporate audience because of the access, but it's harder when you want to start a program that is helping people who may not have that access or, um, or even other people who do have, they, they, they let's say they have the quote unquote corporate job or, or a, or a job that has data, they may not feel, they may have imposter syndrome. So <laughs> they also don't feel like, oh, I sh- I don't need, you know, I shouldn't be doing this because um, data is not for me. It's for the data folks to deal with. And, and oh, I'm glad you brought that up because <laughs> you and I uh, get a lot of people reaching out to us because of the website, because of Be Data Lit. And I think that's the number one thing I've noticed in the people reaching out to us is nobody feels like they're doing a good job at this at all. And from a person who's been in data for decades to a person who maybe is newer at it, nobody feels comfortable and nobody is quite sure what this looks like success wise. And I suppose that's kind of why we're doing this too, is we're seeing these things happen and we're seeing the same struggles across the globe from one person to the next. And, uh, let's talk about it. There's so many stories out there. And I think the more that we open up the conversations around this and the more that we show that we're more interconnected in this journey than we thought we were, maybe people will realize they're doing better than they thought they were. No, totally. I mean, we've, um, you know, I've definitely spoken to a lot of people who are either trying, like we spoke, um, we spoke, we had someone, um, write an article for us recently, um, and unfortunately, her name is Skip. Nicola. Yes, I'm sorry, Nicola. You're also. I just totally blanked out because you know we're doing this whole podcast thing. But um, <laughs> it's Nicola, also Monday morning. <laughs> but no, she just did an article about for us, and we've had other people as well, like do really great articles about them trying to help others because you know I think this really is about community and just for you know going back to Nicola's article, she's like an internal or- auditor, and she identified the fact. that that, um, you know, people need to get more familiar with data. We're always depending on the analytics group in our organizations to do it. And even though internal auditors, they they have like a professional like vertical, she noticed that I think 
that's actually the reason. Like they have their own professional like vertical. Like they feel like they don't have to step into another one. Uh, they leave that to the data folks. But you know, she and I and you, <laughs> we all understand that if more of us get our hands on the data, it can just ma- it can make your organization actually flow much smoother, in my opinion, because you know it can't just be left to one group. You know, data has just gotten too big. So uh, I'm glad you brought up Nicola. I mean, she was on my mind anyway, just because we just recently posted her article. But I have a question for you, Alan. Are you ready? I am. And it's all because you started talking about Nicola. She didn't Uh-oh. even know she was going to be a guest here today without being here. But um, Well, we plan to have her here, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully we can get you We know, will. We will. Yeah, all right. I have, are you ready for this question, though? I have a question. Sure. Uh did you start your life in data, your career in data? That's a, um, yes and no. Uh, <laughs> I guess I say yes and no because I didn't start off as a data person. I started off as an engineer, which is a technical job. Um, so there is there was data around it, but I had to say even within my engineering job, it wasn't until I got put on a database project that I started getting more aware of like, at that time I was thinking about building databases and designing them. And I took a lot of classes in that database design and uh, SQL, SQL. And then I kind of transitioned from my engineering job to supporting marketing and sales teams. So I did a lot of database reporting at that time. If you knew how to build databases or to even query them, it was definitely opportunity, um, job opportunities. So I did a lot of that. And then it grew into doing analytics and then um, focusing more on customer analytics. So I would say that I didn't start out my job with data in mind, but I think as my career progressed, I got more data involved or data in- data intensive. Um You know, I'm asking you this question because just like Nicola, I mean, she was an audit and you were an engineer and I, 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 I don't have any (laughs) stories like that. I did many things. Like, how Uh, do I say? You have an interesting career journey. Didn't you tell me you were like a psychic for a day? Oh my goodness. Why'd you bring that up? Yes. I, for a week. I was oh, in my early twenties. Okay. I worked for now, testing out careers. Yes. Yeah. Telephone psychic for a week. You know, <laughs> I usually win that competition for oddest job whenever that question comes up. But um, yeah, I didn't start in data either. You didn't start in data, maybe relative to data. And same with Nicola. She was in audit, which again, relative to data and eventually you find your path there. But I think that's the one thing that we've seen from all the people we're talking about you don't have to start on the data path to end up there at all. And that's kind of the story, isn't it? Every data is everywhere, like you said. Yeah. And when we were talking, we were when we were going over like, you know, plans for the podcast. We actually did bring that up that a lot of people stumbled upon data. Like a lot of people didn't grow up and be like, I want to be a data person or I want to be a data analyst. Um, a lot of people had other roles. And I think you know, especially for us, our colleagues and peers, data became more prevalent. 
in our career verticals. And that's how most of us got drawn into it. Um, so I always think like, you know, even with data visualization people, there are people who study the coding and the data and they kind of go down that track where there are other people that have had, you know, they've had other jobs. Maybe data wasn't the primary at the time, but it ended up becoming the primary because data has just gotten, gotten so important, you know, to get anything done. Yeah. <laughs> it's in jobs that never needed data before or technology. Um, I think uh, you, all right. So you you started as an engineer. I actually, my real first real job was a checker in a grocery store. And I, whenever I'm asked about my data journey, I always start with that job because um, it started with data, honestly. <laughs> and you wouldn't think that a grocery store checker is impacted by technology. But um, while I was there um, in my job, and I suppose I'm dating myself by saying this, but it was from the old point of sale systems where it was the old cash registers where you had like the 10 key on it where you had to input the price of everything um, to the scanner system. And then it had like a computer that uh, registered yeah. all the information from that. And watching a bunch of people who have never had to work on something like that, where suddenly they have this computer interface in front of them was such a change. And I mean, that was nineties. <laughs> so wow. yeah. Yeah. The nineties too. another thing for me, like I was working in publishing at the time and, you know, print magazines were still a thing. And a lot of the established print companies weren't really thinking about, online magazine mm -hmm. chat or online websites and i told myself you know what i think i should go back because i was also interested in going back to school but um so that's when i went and did my second i did a second degree in digital in um management information systems when oh. i wanted to focus on digital marketing because i kind of felt like okay this is going to be a thing even though it didn't seem like it at the time especially from the publishing arena i knew that the internet was going to blow up more than it was, or there was going to be more things being done online. And I was correct in that forecast. <laughs> uh, Breaking rights. I was yeah, right. Publishing, publishing didn't do too well with that, but I, at, well, yeah, they haven't really done the best, uh, but I did move more into digital marketing. So that's when I did, like, I started doing email marketing and just setting up, helping people like leverage the systems to kind of, have better communications online. So, yeah. We're learning so much about each other today, like early yeah, jobs, and the 90s. Like, I know the 90s. Wow. The 90s was a cool time. I think the I 90s. I enjoyed cool. them. <laughs> the, music was, the music was better. The music I, was <laughs> the best. 90s music. <laughs> yes, yes. Now yes. we're going to get nostalgic. I know, but maybe we should stick to data for now. But we can always, you know, revisit the '90s. Maybe another another episode. We'll make that. Maybe a we should dress up for the '90s in another episode too. Oh, uh, I have to find stuff. Right. <laughs> I'm sure I have some flannel and a backpack I can sling over <laughs> one shoulder somewhere. Some work boots. Wow. 
So <laughs> where are we with data now? <laughs> all, right, all right, all right, all right. Giving us another podcast idea, uh, but uh, <laughs> no, all right. No. I um, yeah. What's our next? So what was? What should we? Ask I know. Now? I have questions for you. Don't you worry. I I have questions ready for you. But I also want to kind of plug uh, B Data Lit a little bit. So B Data Lit is a site that you know. Again, what we're doing. BDatalit.com. BDatalit.com. Uh, that's a website for data lit data lit professionals um, to data we literacy were, advocates. Data literacy advocates to get resources. You know, on do, on doing the stuff that we do. Resources, uh, stories, research. Yeah, we're getting a lot of, and we're starting to get a few people. Like we have Nicola, we have Steve. Um, he's another mm-hmm. person. Hopefully, we'll get to all know um, down the road. Um, and we've also done stories on digital you know, nests. We featured them already. They're a great company that yep. people out should check your, out too. Out on your side of the country. Um, yeah, I'm on yes. the West Coast. You are the East Coast, and between us. We have many states. Yes, we have many states. In in a couple time zones. <laughs> Not that many, maybe two. What? You're three hours. You're in the future, Alan. <laughs> you're three hours in the future. Can you tell me what's happening in the world of data three hours in the future? I've um it's all quiet over here so far. Maybe I, I need to get plugged in. I don't Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean seriously, it's quiet. I mean, yeah, we do have a, we do have a few um time zones between us but no i mean we definitely have a lot of people um and like again you mentioned jacob from digital nest hopefully we can have him on um down the road as well but he's he's been doing a lot of good work and one of the areas that we've been trying to focus on with um becoming more familiar with data digital nest is an organization that is helping um, young adults get more prepared for a technical career. So they do a lot of amazing programs in their community where they partner with local businesses after being trained on web design or data-related database databases. And I think they also, and they also do video. So that way, you know, the young people are ready to come out into the world in theory and be productive or add to their communities you know jacob's very focused on keeping people in the community you know even though he knows that there is like san francisco is like (laughs) up north and people (laughs) people want to be in big tech but he's definitely um great about promoting the community so i gotta check in with him to see how what he's been up to yeah i know i love that i love um his story and just what he's doing too and I think that's a really good segue into one of my questions for you and just maybe conversation around what is data literacy even and how do you and I view it differently and why, I mean, going back to that first conversation a few moments ago, like, why are we starting a podcast? I think, you know, we had the very light, jovial response because we wanted to, you know, but we (laughs) have real reasons behind wanting to do this. And stories like Jacob's are ones that inspire me to want Mm to be on this podcast to want to talk with you because 
you are really invested in underrepresented communities. And you talked about access and people not having access. And Jacob is providing skills and access to people who maybe wouldn't have access to. And I know that's a big thing for you, too. And I want you to talk about that. I want people to know all of the great things that you do and just some of those great thoughts in your head around that. Wow. That's a lot to answer. Uh, <laughs> but no, seriously, um, I definitely, I definitely, one of the things that is near and dear to me is representation and also making sure that people can see themselves in certain fields and also have access, you know, to it. So one of the projects, so a few of the projects with concentrations I've been on is looking at the digital divide, looking at data equity, um, helping underserved communities become more data literate or become more familiar with data. And, you know, I applaud Jacob because Jacob, <laughs> Jacob has gotten further along. You know, I've been trying to, you know, work on things local to me here in New York on helping communities setting up things where, you know, um, people from underserved communities can have opportunities to learn more about data, understand why they should be a part of it. And Jacob's model um, is just another um, verification or confirmation rather that it, it takes a village or it's community. You know, some of the models that I was exploring or looking at was definitely trying to get the city involved um, to help. Um, also, you know, just different ways, or even getting the local, you know, the young, the young adults getting more familiar with data about their community. Because, you know, again, they may not have a company or a job where they can work on data. So New York City, through 311, for example, is a lot of open access data on the city. And that was one of the ways we were looking to develop programs to build upon getting people interested in data or helping. Now, one thing that I did discover or learn a little bit more on my personal journey with this is that there is a balance for people who are looking, you know, in underserved communities to be able to fast track getting a job because there's not always that luxury that maybe I had or others may have of going to school for four years and not having to prioritize you know, making a living. So I've learned about that balance. And if there's anything that I learned from Jacob's model is that he's preparing young adults to be, what's the word? It's not productive, but career ready or maybe workforce ready. So that's- Workforce ready. I like that. Workforce ready. So there's a lot of things that I've learned in workforce development. And that's, again, just one of the areas that I've looked looked at. And in addition to opportunity, I also feel that some of the barriers is that you don't, you know, we don't see ourselves. A lot of times there are people, there are segments of people who unconsciously just kind of know that they can potentially be somewhere because they see themselves. Whereas some people who may not see themselves may not even think it's a thing or it's an opportunity or why should I do it? It's not relevant. And 
showing people that data is everywhere and that you can. So a lot of times, you know, you're dealing with younger people and there's also different interests that they may have. And it's like, well, you know, you can apply data to this. Like maybe you want to be a video gamer or maybe (laughs) you're trying to, you're doing something that you feel is going to give you that financial security. So let's say medical transcription. Oh, yeah. And then it's like, uh, you know, I was talking to someone about this. Like, well, no, I feel, and I was telling the group that no matter what vertical you're in, I believe at this time, if you know data, you'll go further in it. You'll be more... Um, There's data to back that up, Alan. <laughs> I know. And this is where I need you in these conversations. Because <laughs> every time we have a conversation, you always copy and paste me a stat. or <laughs> And it's like, oh, why, where was she when I was talking to them about this? Um, well, you, honestly, I, I'm glad you brought that up because it's... It's a supply and demand issue. And I think that's why it's such a big deal right now is because you're not just talking about a single industry, a single vertical, um, a single country. I mean, this is ubiquitous. This is across everything. And there's so much data that shows that one, not enough data education is being provided in schools today. So we're, we're talking about traditional paths. We're talking about people who have already been able to cross that first hurdle of access to school. So even when you get to school, your education is outdated by the time you graduate. Um, Yeah. I mean, but there are some schools that have been, which made me smile because they are teaching, (laughs) they are teaching, they're not, I don't know if they call it data literacy, but there are some schools that are just starting. It's not like it's a big thing yet, but Mm -hmm. I've noticed that there's some schools that are starting at the elementary or even high school. Yeah, yeah about data literacy, but still probably not in a way that, I mean, it's better than nothing, but it needs to be persisted more than it is sadly. Um, so yeah, it's, um, but it's proven that if you are able to get that education and you're able to get the actual experience that, so go to that demand side where we're talking about employers wanting to hire you, if you have those skills, you are that much more desirable as a candidate for a job. And I was just reading some uh, research a couple weeks ago that was talking about how I think it was an article. It was either for World Economic Forum or United Nations. Someone I'll I'll have to look it up, but um, it was talking about how these people who are being hired for their data skills are also being used to teach data within their new employers then too. Because wow. talking about that supply issue, it's existing workforce and it's also future workforce. So people like us who are already in our jobs are being impacted. And many of us haven't had to use data before. So it's definitely a, a growing issue. Yeah, one of the things that I always aspired in my career was to be that ambassador, go between, uh, because I had a very technical background, as we discussed, but I always wanted to balance it out because I always felt like the technical people were always put in the basement on the corner. So I didn't want to always stay there. But (laughs) there's a stigma for sure. (laughs) I know, Dilbertian perspectives, right? But I, but I also like helping people, so it worked for me to kind of get out there in the middle. But 
there are people, you know, I've trained people unofficially or officially, like on different tools. And I think that's one of the main things that can also help. But, you know, everyone doesn't take on a job. And it's funny that you mentioned that about people being hired to be with data skills, but also training. Everyone doesn't want to necessarily you know, and it's, everyone has their personality. They want to be around people, <laughs> you know, they want to kind of be in a corner and do their thing. Yeah. So um, Not everyone wants to be a teacher. Yes. <laughs> so it's like, but I do feel that we need community at the same time, you know, and there's ways, I guess, for people to still have a balance or, you know, you hire enough people where you do have your people who want to be, you know, they want to be left alone (laughs) (laughs) and they can do their thing. But then other people who want to kind of like step in or step out um, can be those trainers or to help build that community. That's really too. um, That's why I, I love the idea of helping others to become advocates because Without those advocates, you're not going to have those opportunities within your own little spheres of influence, you know, and you can impact so many more people that way, I think. And I think with, you know, you first. (laughs) And I'm glad you bring up that this is all about community, too, because like you said, not everyone wants to do this. But there are a lot of people who do want to do this. And I think there are different roles for different people. You don't have to be that person in the front. You can be that person quietly influencing behind the scenes, too. We need all all types of people for this from all backgrounds to help with this message. Yeah, I like to make a distinction sometimes between data wranglers and data analysts. Like, you know, analysts, you know, they're looking more for the insight. So they do have to talk to the business people where a data wrangler is somebody who's helping store the data, make it more accessible to everyone. So they may want to, they do kind of need to be left alone to figure it out. And so the data analysts are kind of the people who can kind of also just kind of talk to both the data wrangler and also to the project manager, the business owner, the knowledge experts, you know, to kind of be that glue to keep everyone together. But I think the name of the term data analyst gets lost in translation, just like our other favorite term, data literacy. Uh, (laughs) It's a controversial term, isn't it? Yeah, I've heard. Yes, there's been some... There's definitely discussions about either if it should still be called data literacy, but... What do you think? What's your opinion? I think we just need to get the work done right now. I don't know if we need to focus, but on the on the terms, like, yeah, I know some people feel like data literacy implies that you're not literate in data, and... Yeah, this was... I have I mean, on that. <laughs> but, I, you know, for me, I just feel like if you kind of stress that you're talking about being familiar with data, I think it's fine. And I don't know a word that better defines what we're trying to describe. Like, I don't know. There's been, I forget what the other word that's been put out there. Fluency. Oh, data fluency. Yeah. Fluent, like being fluent in data. Uh, So, cause you can think of data as a language and some people are conversational. Other people are more fluent. I mean, I don't know. What do you think? I feel like it's really, equivocating over it and it's funny just the way you talked about fluency too I had a couple thoughts going through my mind fluent 
it infers that you can speak a language. So what you're putting on fluency is the same argument a lot of people use for not liking literacy. Um, I think to me behind it is the conversation that you have to have when there's confusion around the term. And it's okay to be confused and it's okay to question it, but let's talk about what it actually is. And it's not binary. Data literacy is not an in or an out operation, you know? I'll be it, going back to our te- I'll be going back to our technical, yes. Um, <laughs> it's a spectrum. It's a spectrum. It was, yeah. Uh, but it, it isn't the switch that you just flip on one day and suddenly, whoo, look at me, I'm data literate. Look, everyone. Um, and I think that's why I like literacy because I think about it from an education standpoint. Mm-hmm. And it is a language, but let's break down what it takes to learn a language. And it's not like suddenly you listen to uh, some Rosetta Stone tapes and <laughs> you're speaking another language or the matrix where here I am, Neo sitting in the chair and you plug in to my head and I know how to fly a helicopter. Right. I I wish it could be that way. Right. I would love to fly a helicopter overnight. That'd be amazing. Um, But I, 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 it's not like that. And there are, you're an educator, you know, that there are steps <laughs> within no, the education process. Steps. I think that's why I call it a spectrum, but you also have a good perspective. I've heard, you know, I've, we've talked about, I've listened to some of your other talks and you talk about the Bloom's taxonomy. Totally, uh, 100% Bloom's. And I think the Bloom's taxonomy is kind of taking into account that it's a spectrum and it's a spectrum that everyone doesn't have to get the full scale of. People have a certain purpose or need and they learn as much as they need to be where they need to be. (laughs) So I know one of the examples that you use is someone, because you also target segments like, you know, older people, or you've also, who need to navigate their benefits as everything moves online. And, you know, I think about my mom, for example, Um, if I wasn't around, I mean, I'm sure she would figure it out, but. (laughs) How long would it take her? To figure but out, I know. So a lot of people who have been traditionally everything's been paper, or um, now things are moving online, and so you know you have a lot of older Americans who need to navigate healthcare or need to navigate their household bills, and now they have to have this learning curve just to be able to do, do those things. And while yes, it is easier to get things done and it's more instantaneous, but you have to first get there so you know how to make it instantaneous. (laughs) Well, and these older populations too. um, I'm talking from my own experience with my mom. She can be really stubborn. And... (laughs) (laughs) My way or no way. Yeah. I mean, I don't... I get it from someone, I guess. But um, as we grow older, we kind of get stuck in our ways. Not kind of. That's too passive. We are stuck in our ways. Adults are stuck in our ways. My mother is stuck in her ways. Um, <laughs> so I'm actually I, beginning to get stuck in certain ways, too. I try to force yeah. myself out of ways. Not as resistant, but, you know, there's certain things that even I don't. But yes. <laughs> and... It, there's reasons behind that. I think because a lot of it's scary and I've been watching Downton Abbey 
I'm way behind the curve on this, but there, I have a, I have a reason for bringing that up okay. <laughs> in relation to my mom. <laughs> I guess we're going to have to come up with some um, downtown Abbey memes after <laughs> for our Twitter account. <laughs> but downtown Abbey, I think is really interesting because it starts at um, early 1900s and it navigates through so many different changes and uh, they introduce electricity, they introduce the telephone, they introduce the automobile. And um, I think about it because of the conversations that the Earl and his wife have around this about, I don't want a telephone. What am I going to do with a telephone? The automobile is so dangerous, you know? And, but eventually these are things that they grow used to, but they were so resistant to the change. Oh, I, remember, I remember that conversation with my parents, like, why do we need mobile phones? And the next thing, so my mom borrowed my phone once and then she went and let it go. <laughs> she said, oh, I just want to call someone while I'm in the car. I said, yeah, now you need a mobile phone, right? <laughs> so we talk about how much change we've seen since the 90s, you know, but think about some of these uh, older generations or aging populations and how much change they've seen in their time too. Yeah. And I know that we like as time has progressed from the 90s until now, I mean, even before the 90s, but it's definitely between the 90s and now things have gone from like changing every I don't know, things change every six months, you know, and it's like I, and you're coming from a generation. Six of people months. Who, That's like a luxury. Six months, something is like obsolete, you know, I feel like Seattle time when I lived there, it was if you didn't go past a place, uh, at least every week within a month, it was completely different. So I think it's dependent on region. Oh, okay. Well, I read that somewhere, the technology. Oh, so sorry, sorry. Techno- no, no, no. <laughs> that was like, but I also read that like a couple of years ago, so that could have changed. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so, all right. So if that was a couple of years, years ago, let's take A couple take years in- ago, they said technology adoption, technology progression, yeah. like changed every six months. I would, man, because COVID totally changed all that. I would, what, what's your guess? How, how swiftly do you think it's changing now? I want to say without, if I had to answer your question, which I am in like five, like five seconds, I would say that things have probably gotten even shorter. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you say? Maybe, three months? months three months, months almost, half times, half yeah. life. <laughs> so, Yes. Yeah, it's kind of crazy thinking about how much things have changed. All right, Alan, we've been talking for a little bit now, and this is our first episode. What do you think people can expect from us in the future? Well, they're going to have, they'll have more guests. So this will be me and you talking, which I think we are very interesting people, but we will be (laughs) spicing it up. Um, So we're going to have people talk about their data journeys. Um, We also want them to have a focus on data literacy, just you know, what they've maybe done to impact it or what they do in their communities to make data a better place <laughs> for others. Um, and yeah, we're going to have a lot of interesting conversations around that. I, I think that's, I think people like, just in case we haven't made it clear, uh, we definitely are about community. We want to help other data literacy advocates. And we're also going to bring on a lot of people what I call the everyday business user or people who stumbled upon data or people who have integrated data in their in their careers or lives. 
Um, I want to make it relatable. I think if anything, my ongoing theme is always to have like a relatable perspective on things um, to make sure that, you know, you can see yourself doing this and you don't have to be a data scientist. I mean, we definitely wouldn't mind having you on, but you don't have to be (laughs) one. Um, You know, just, you know, we just want to make it like laid back and chill. So I have a goal. I have a goal. Well, you're more of the planner than me, so I definitely. So let's for those people who are more goal oriented, please share. <laughs> <laughs> I find it funny that you say I'm so goal oriented when neither of us really knew what we were going to talk about today, and it's because I came off of a week of vacation. Like, we'll just well, we could have talked about your vacation, but I don't know if you want to talk about no. That. But let's let us not talk about my very. <laughs> House repair driven vacation. Um, did you right. use data? Did you use data during your? <laughs> I used a lot of swearing, but um, um, so like you can make a graph on a bar. <laughs> yeah, and the different type of swear words I used on a daily basis across time. Or your swear graph over the week. My did swear it, graph. Did it go up or did it go down or did it go up and down? Or? Uh, well, if we're talking about a running total. <laughs> <laughs> um, there is a lot of swearing by the end of the week. Um, anyway, but yeah. my goal, I have a goal. Um, I would really like us to reach people who maybe don't even know about this topic. Cause I know that people are going to initially listen to us who know what this is. We're going to have our friends and family listening in. Hi mom. But, um, I want those people who don't even know about this yet. I want people who have never heard of it and maybe they learn something new and they become inspired to talk about it more. And that's my goal. No, I like that. I like that goal too. Yeah. So. All right. So. We're we gonna can, wrap up here now. Yeah. You know, this you're you're right. You've proven that our conversations are podcastable. So we are Alan and we're going to get better at this. And thank you everyone for listening to us. We appreciate all of you and hope you can become part of our be data lit community. Also, if you want to follow Alan and I, we are both on Twitter. Yes. I'm Al data guy, a L not a I a L a L data guy on Twitter. Um, we also have our Twitter be data lit as well. Oh, yes. So check out lit. Be Data Lit on Twitter. And we'll be here once a month hanging out with you talking about what's top of our minds. All right. With that, thank you everyone for being here today and we'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.